Hey, it's Debbie here. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. But you can also hear the Dave and Dujanovic show live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday, starting at nine, or at kslnewsradio.com. Keyword podcast. So text that keyword to five seven five zero zero, and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win. Dave and Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. There's a proposal on Capitol Hill, Dave, that is uh, catching a lot of controversy this morning. We're going to speak live with the uh, bill's sponsor in the 10 o'clock hour, but it would expand what a lot of parents have been asking for. Um, more positions at child care centers. But the catch is these are at unlicensed child care centers. Yeah, it's a big question of what child care is going to look like here in Utah. It's 9.07. It's time for the launch. Sequence engaged. And here are three things brought to you by Mountain America Credit Union that Debbie wants you to know. Countdown three. Uh, the Utah County Clerk back in the news this morning. Now, just a few weeks ago, you might remember, he's the one we had live on the air with us um, when he decided to stop the no posted necessary on mail-in ballots and, and make voters, um, or ask voters at least, to put, put a stamp on it so his office doesn't have to pay for it, postage. Well, he's back in the news. This time, he has a reprimand in the state elections office for filling out a candidate's filing form for him after the filing deadline. He tells KSL Television's Lindsay Ertz, who will join us in just a bit this morning. Yeah, he did it. I did fill in the line and I initialed it. I wasn't trying to hide anything. It had been verbally confirmed. The intent was known. And if I'm being honest, it sounds way worse than it actually is, in my opinion. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal. In fact, it feels very much like common sense. The spirit of the law was adhered to, but... The letter of the law was definitely broken, and he got a censure. Maybe not an official censure, but, you know, a slap on the wrist at least. Countdown to... Well, we know that uh, space for child care in Utah, um, it's just, it's in dire straits right now. And this piece of legislation could expand it significantly, I think. Even though it only goes up from six to eight kids that an unlicensed daycare provider could expand to, that extra two is quite a bit when you multiply it by all the providers out there who want to watch kids. Now, there's a recent report that shows we are in a child care crisis uh, with only sufficient space for 36% of all kids under six whose parents work. Um, So we're in dire straits, as I said. But the folks that issued this very report aren't necessarily on board with this proposal to expand the spot. It is incredibly offensive to a lot of licensed child care providers and I think reflects the legislature's unwillingness to do anything about child care that isn't free, easy, and completely outside of their view. Unlicensed child care provider. It sounds so ominous. Do you know who else is an unlicensed child care provider? This guy right here, Dave Noriega, totally unlicensed. And for some reason, the state of Utah has been gracious enough to trust me to raise my own kids. I think 
a lot of times we freak out over the regulations or the deregulating of something. Nobody cares more about their kids than the parents. The parents aren't going to put the kids in a bad situation. I don't see why everyone's freaking out because the state is loosening up some of these restrictions. Launch countdown one. Well, I think this was a poke to Senator Mike Lee for coming out against funding for Ukraine's fight against Russia. And it came from Senator Mitt Romney, who voted in favor of the $60 billion that will go to Ukraine. Yeah, the vote happened early this morning. Romney's yes vote team crushing Lee's no vote team, <laughs> 70 to 29. I think Romney is sending a strong message to Lee at all. If your position is being cheered by Vladimir Putin, it's time to reconsider your position. Team no vote didn't do so great. Uh, it wasn't doing so great. But ultimately, Senator Mike Lee is going to get the last laugh. The launch. Commence. America's top political story. Special coverage with David Dijanovic. Senator uh, Mitt Romney speaking just before uh, the legislation passed uh, with flying colors. Um, He calls this vote. The most important vote we will ever take as United States senators. We're not being asked to send American troops into war. We are asked to help the Ukrainians defend themselves. And that's noble. And I think we've we've rallied for two years, almost two years, around that idea that we've got to support the Ukrainians. But there is a harsh reality as well, that the Ukrainians aren't doing well. They've tried to drive Russia out. For the past year, there's been a counteroffensive that has failed miserably. So... The question that's being asked right now is, are we just prolonging a, a war? Are we preventing a ceasefire or some sort of treaty by continuing to funnel money and weapons into the Ukraine battle? I want to counter that with Senator Mitt Romney's uh, speech last night as he laid out his case for Ukraine defense funding, for funding and continuing to send defense funding to Ukraine. I felt he did a good job making his point. If we fail to help Ukraine, Putin will invade a NATO nation. He may delay his next invasion until he rebuilds his decimated military. But we must be clear-eyed. Ukraine is not the end. It is a step. If we fail to help Ukraine, China will eventually absorb Taiwan. If we fail to help Ukraine, we will abandon our word and our commitment providing to our friends a view that America cannot be trusted. The Chinese Communist Party is already spreading propaganda using our delay as a warning to Taiwan that the United States will not be there to help in the face of China's threat. If we fail to help Ukraine, NATO, the alliance has prevented great power conflict for over 75 years, will falter and eventually disintegrate. Part of what makes this so difficult, because Senator Romney is certainly make it see, making it seem like uh, we are basically holding Russia at bay, but we're doing so with both our hands and a, and a leg tied behind our back. How so? We're not really helping Ukraine. We're sending them money. 
We're sending them ammunition. We're sending them bombs. Mm. But that's it. I mean, we're providing some intelligence. We could go in there and drive Russia out tomorrow with the might of the U.S. military. We could absolutely do that. But we've been so terrified about the quote-unquote escalation that we just sit back and we're watching hundreds of thousands of people die. Well, you make the situation sound so bleak. Uh, so let's lay out what the situation looks like in Ukraine straight, straight ahead and uh, let you explore this question, Dave. Are we throwing money at an unwinnable war? Next. Dave, Dave. and Dejanovic. America's top political story. Special coverage with Dave and Dejanovic. Well, our Utah senators um, are falling on opposite sides of Ukraine funding. Senator Mitt Romney voting in favor of it uh, early this morning, saying that a vote for this bill. The most important vote we will ever take as United States senators. We're not being asked to send American troops into war. We are asked to help the Ukrainians defend themselves. Senator Romney voting in favor of it. Senator Mike Lee voting against it. He took four hours on Saturday, another hour Monday, speaking against uh, this additional funding package for Ukraine. Voting yes on this bill is a capitulation. It's a surrender. It's a vote for flooded classrooms, classrooms and crowded hospitals. It's a vote for increased homelessness, death by overdose. It's a vote that undermines law enforcement puts citizenship itself at risk and in doubt, adds burdens to teachers, food banks, undercuts safety in our community parks, and threatens the first jobs that lead to the second jobs that ultimately culminate in the best jobs for our younger people. Isn't that interesting? You've got two senators from the same state talking about completely different things Senator Romney is talking about Ukraine and stopping Putin and supporting the Ukrainians. Mike Lee is saying, yeah, sure, that's that's fine, but we're not doing any of that unless you can secure the southern border. So that when you were listening to Mike Lee, you heard him talking about almost exclusively, exclusively about the southern border and the need that if we are going to pass Ukrainian funding, then we have to secure. And that was an opportunity that Republicans had a week ago. Where is the war at right now? I guess I don't have my brain quite wrapped around where things are at, and maybe that's a good place for us to start. Does it seem like Ukraine is losing the war and we're just pretending like he's going to, and his his folks, his military are going to win this? Uh, Because I'm looking at some it, looking at some old data from six months ago or so, Dave, and it looked like uh, the casualties were pretty staggering. Yeah, that it's a great point because I think we, when we first saw the war, we were following it so closely. We were watching the convoys. We were seeing getting live updates. We this was this was part of it. It's been two years. I'm not exactly sure where it's at until I was listening yesterday uh, to. X, and they had a, a little community um, roundtable, and Senator Lee joined it, along with Senators J.D. Vance and Ron Johnson. Elon Musk was there. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy was there, you know, former presidential candidates. So, and they were painting a picture 
uh, of what is going on right now in Ukraine. So just in moral terms, it's a disaster and no one's talking about it. Everybody's acting like the Ukrainians are gung-ho to fight. The data doesn't suggest that. No, I mean, all the Ukrainians who are gung-ho to fight uh, volunteered in the first year of the war. Now they're rounding people up off the streets. And it's, it's very sad. I mean, it's very clear that the people who are being conscripted and impressed into service right now, are they're, they're not looking to, to fight. That was Senators J.D. Vance uh, and David Sachs, who was the host there. But to your point, Debbie, there's been over almost a half a million Ukrainians that have been killed or wounded. Over 125,000 of those have been troops. Another 180,000 of those troops have been wounded. So how much is left in in the military tank for the Ukrainians? So why don't those who are just opposed to sending more aid essentially makes it sound like they're opposed to throwing good money after bad and sending $60 billion more dollars? Just say that. What if they just come out and say that and they make that their main case in point? Uh, Senator Romney called them out for changing their story, uh, depending on, it's like, They're just floating with the wind and moving with the breeze. Listen to what he said about this. I've observed that the reasons have evolved over time. First, it was claimed that Europe was not paying their fair share. That was proven incorrect. Our allies have already contributed more than $96 billion in aid. And the EU earlier this month agreed to provide $54 billion more over the next four years. Next, it was argued that we should instead focus on the Pacific and Taiwan. But Taiwan and Japan and South Korea tell us that the single best thing we can do to dissuade China's aggression is to support Ukraine. Next, we were told that we couldn't afford $60 billion for Ukraine-related funding. But somehow we can afford an $850 billion annual defense budget and annual trillion-dollar deficits, which has happened under both former President Trump and President Biden. And that's a pretty compelling argument. We well, called them out for changing their story as to why they oppose Ukraine funding. It just seems like they were blo- those who are opposed to it. And 29 senators, including Senator Mike Lee, voted against uh, continuing funding for Ukraine. The vote happened early this morning, late last night. I mean, sometime while we were sleeping, this vote was going down. And 29 senators voted against it. Lee was in that pack. And... 70 senators, uh, my memory serves from five minutes ago, 70 senators voted in favor of it, and Romney was in at, at, on team yes vote, and he just stood up before the vote and said, look, you know, I guess it's like a stick to your story. And that's the problem with uh, lawmakers who oppose different types of legislation, is they just never know what the clear vision is as to why they're opposing it. And I've felt that the entire time with um, Ukraine. And now they're coming out on X uh, last night in a roundtable and saying, oh, well, no, it's now because it's just a bleak war and it, it's an unwinnable war. So what are your thoughts on that, Dave? Well, I, that It is. It has been a moving target. And I'm not entirely certain that it's all politically motivated. That's kind of what uh, Senator Romney is indicating or alluding to. Maybe things change over the last couple of years. But when I was listening to to that roundtable, they painted a very, very bleak picture. And these are coming from U.S. senators. Uh, And 
we do know that things are not going well in Ukraine. The last year they've spent in in a counterinsurgency. They're trying to drive Russia out. It has been extremely ineffective. It has not been effective at all. And in part because we are to blame, the United States of America. We we keep saying we're here to support Ukraine. We're here for you. As well, long we are as, their largest supporter. As long as we don't have to put boots on the ground. As long as we uh, are, are not pushing too hard. We have the greatest air force in the history of mankind. We are 10 times the size of the next closest person. How many planes have we sent to Ukraine? Well, we can't be None. involved yet. That's World War we, Three. We, we are involved, well, we Debbie. We're completely involved. We can't put troops on the ground. We absolutely no. Well, you can. That's the argument, right? You're going to sure. you're going to go to war against Russia. That has been the argument all along. It's why we have rolled out in the slowest manner possible what weapons we will give to Ukraine. The weapons we were get we're giving them right now. The HIMARS, which is a, a rocket battery uh, of incredible, it's our it's our greatest rocket mobile rocket battery that we have. We didn't give that to them on day one, when you had this huge Russian convoy coming into Kiev. We we just kind of say, oh, we'll we'll roll out. We'll occasionally give you. We'll give you an upgrade here. We keep pushing the boundaries instead of on day one coming in stopping Russia. Because we're always afraid of, oh, this is going to escalate it. Well, yes, it we've, we've It, it hasn't. Will. Well, it, it if hasn't. We put, if we put troops on the ground to go to battle against Russia, it will absolutely. Then we're, we are full-fledged involved with sending military and calling up military to head over to Ukraine to fight Russia. And we're in a war with Russia. That's we, what we are. I mean, it's 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 not a sort of war. It's a full-on war then with Russia. We're already in a proxy war. I mean, th- this is, to me, so just, it's, just keep it's, going. Twi- it's twisting uh, a, a little bit of the terminology. We are absolutely involved. Uh, we are not giving them full support. We are giving them enough money right now to die. And that's what's chilling. Great take, Dave. Um, next. Uh, we found out he didn't go to college, as he had claimed, and then we found out he wasn't a real estate mogul, as he was claimed. Then we found out his mom really didn't die on 9-11, like he claimed. If I leave, they win. If I leave, the bullies take place. This is bullying. And along the way, New York Representative George Santos put the Republican Party in a very precarious spot. They had to boot him out of Congress. And we find out today that the Republicans will pay the price for liar, liar, pants on fire. You know, the guy Senator Mitt Romney called a sick puppy. Look, he's a sick puppy. Uh, he, he shouldn't be, he shouldn't be there. He, sa- he says he, uh, you know, that he embellished his record. Look, embellishing is saying you... Dave and Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. Let's talk about Representative George Santos. Vindujanovic, special coverage of the top national story. Outside the four seats in the House of Representatives that belong to Utah, Dave and I have never been more obsessed with Congress. Obsessed. It's all thanks to Congressman, um, who we think is named George Santos. I don't know if we've ever confirmed that. It's a, it's a fair question. It's a, it's a very fair question. He's 
he's out. He got kicked out of Congress. Of course, he's also been criminally charged as well. That story will be saved for another day as it develops. But he's out of Congress, and today New York will vote on on who they want to replace him, Dave. And this is a pretty incredible story. So first of all, Santos is one of the great liar, liar, pants on fire politicians of all time. He's on the Mount Rushmore of liar, liar, pants on fire politicians. He is a, a crown jewel for the Liars Club. Now, let me just give you a little list of the lies. Please. Number one, uh, took campaign donations and spent $2,500 on Botox. Uh, lied about where he went to high school, lied about where he went to college, lied about where he worked. No, he did not work for Goldman Sachs. No, he didn't work for Citigroup. And then there was the creepy stuff where he's like, you know, claims that that his mother lost her life in 9-11 when in fact she died 15 years after 9-11. And then He's trying to play in in this district. It's a very uh, Jewish district in New York and uh, kind of claimed he was Jewish. And when someone challenged, they're like, we talked to your priest, your Catholic priest. And he says, he knows you guys really well. He's like, oh, well, I am Catholic because, uh, but, but I learned that I had some Jewish background. So I wasn't saying I was Jewish. I was saying I was Jew ish you know kind of like when you're hungry but you're not super hungry you're just kind of hungry ish isn't it weird to lie about where you went to high school oh super i've known weird. people who lie about going to college or where they went to college because they want to pad their resume but you don't need to lie about where you went to high school i mean it was a right. swanky expensive right. private school <laughs> we're over it <laughs> it also is so weird that he lied about his mom dying on 9-11, oh, yeah. he couldn't even remember his own lies uh, because he later tweeted out, uh, in, you know, that she had died in 2016. You know, he like he tweeted out in 2021, it's been five years since I've last seen my mother miss you, mom. Something to that effect. And it was like, uh, the math ain't math, and dude. Yeah, his lies were super transparent, so at least he had that going for him. The math ain't mathin'. He's a t- That's a bumper sticker right and there. He's a transparent liar. Uh, and when these lies started pouring out, remember he was seen in the front row seat at President Biden's State of the Union address, which made U.S. Senator Mitt Romney so mad. And he had the entire State of the Union speech to calm down, but no. Look, he's a sick puppy. Uh, he, he shouldn't be. He shouldn't be there. He says. He says he, uh, you know, that he embellished his record. Look, embellishing is saying you got an A when you got an A minus. Lying is saying you you graduated from a college you didn't even attend. Exactly. Now the reason we're talking about George Santos today is because he just put egg all over the face of Republicans who supported him, and then they had to kick him out of Congress. So we don't know yet what the price is for Republicans to ultimately pay. We'll know more in a few hours when polls start closing. But all along, Santos is like, look, I'm the victim. Look at me. It's a witch hunt. If I leave, they win. If I leave, the bullies take place. This is bullying. Well, you didn't leave. So they kicked you out. They kicked you out. Okay, so what's next for the district? Okay. Uh, I was listening to a podcast from the the New York Times, uh, The Daily, 
and and they've laid it out. So in the next three minutes, let's let's blast through it a little bit. Okay. So the district is the Long Island area, very diverse. Um, also, largely Jewish. Um, there, Biden wins by eight points in 2020. But by 2022, Santos had flipped the seat. Uh, and I want to make it clear here. The voters were unaware at the time they were voting that this pile of lies was going to start pouring out. True. So they yeah. elect him on um, his fabricated resume. Yeah. And the GOP takes control in New York. It was yeah. a big win. For Huge win for Republicans. It helped wrestle away control of the House from Democrats. Remember, at the time, in 2022, Democrats held the White House, the Senate, and the House. So right now, running for his seat is a Republican and a Democrat. Mozzie Phillip, uh, she's a Republican candidate. What did you think of her when you listened to the podcast? She has a remarkable story. Really, really interesting. Not a, a huge politician uh, in the sense that she, she's just worked on the local legislature, uh, but a remarkable story in the sense that she was born in Ethiopia. Then her family's airlifted to Israel. She serves in the Israeli Defense Force, legally immigrates to America. Some Lots of her family still lives in Israel. She's married a Ukrainian-American doctor. She's an Orthodox Jew and has seven kids. So in her platform, very pro-Israel. I promise you, the Jewish people, the state of Israel, the American people will make you pay the price you deserve. And her opponent is Tom Swazi. Now, Swazi used to serve as a congressman in that district for three terms. He left to run for governor, but then he loses. He's also kind of atypical for a Democrat running as a pro-Israel Democrat, a pro or or an anti-immigration Democrat. Uh, But what you would think would be kind of a, a slam dunk win for Democrats because Santos had embarrassed the Republicans so much. Mozzie Pillip has really made things interesting. You look at the the numbers, it is neck and neck, okay. too close to call. So the GOP has a chance. You're saying there's a chance the GOP could hold that seat. It looks like a really good uh, chance. Let's come back and talk about it tomorrow when we have some uh, vote totals in. Uh, the Utah County Clerk landing himself right back in the news. Last time it was for removing the no post is necessary on future uh, mail-in ballots. Uh, wants you to pay for uh, ballots to be mailed back to his office when you vote. Well, this time he's accused of filling in a legislative candidate's filing paperwork after the filing deadline. Uh, more on what the state elections office is going to do about it next. Dave and Genevieve. The Utah County Clerk is in charge of elections for the county, and he finds himself back in the news this morning. The question is, is it fair that he filled in info for a legislative candidate on his official filing to run for office after the deadline to file had closed. Uh, Now, Aaron Davidson has been reprimanded by the state elections office. I did fill in the line and I initialed it. I wasn't trying to hide anything. It had been verbally confirmed. The intent was known. He confirmed to the state that he was running as a Republican. So we decided instead of asking him to come back after five, we would call him. 
I really like this story, Debbie, because I think it brings up a, a very interesting conversation of common sense, spirit of the law stuff versus a strict adherence to the letter of the law. And to be completely honest, I actually like both arguments. I see them from both sides. I see what he did, and we'll go into more detail. I'm like, that seems reasonable. That seems like something that you and I could agree on, possibly. Absolutely not, actually. Um, the, Hardcore. The letter. Well, You're cracking okay, down let me, on it. Let me it. put it this way. If I showed up after the mail-in ballot deadline and said, please accept my ballot, I got caught in traffic, I would be turned away. We have deadlines and polls close for a reason. And if you're not in line when the poll close or you don't have a postmark on your ballot, it doesn't, by a certain time, it doesn't count. So I don't know why the letter of the law applies in this situation uh, uh, or the spirit of the law should apply in this situation, but the letter of the law applies to me as a voter. That's where I'm coming from. In part because, and I think this is why I feel this way, we do this for voting. Say, for example, you send in your ballot and it looks like you may have marked one candidate, but maybe your your pencil mark had kind of drifted over and, and you weren't totally clear. Like, who did that person vote for? You can call that individual and ask them, hey, who did you intend to vote for? This is what it looks like to me. Okay. And they can tell you, they can say, oh, I wanted to vote for Debbie Dujanovic for county recorder. KSL 5 Television's Lindsay Ertz uh, reporting on this story. She's the one that interviewed the county clerk. Um, So your report for KSL 5 uh, pointed out that the candidate who was filing for a legislative seat had made a few mistakes on that filing form, but this is the one that apparently stood out? Yeah, and you guys are both right in your arguments here, which is why, Dave, you're right. This does make a fascinating conversation, right? Um, And so, yeah, what happened here is that Michael Cook went in to file for state uh, Senate District 25. He was he's running against uh, Senator Mike McKell, who currently holds the seat right now to make several mistakes on his candidate filing form. Two of those were kind of like, okay, he left off his information and he got his seat wrong. So the state elections office allowed him to amend the form in order to fill in that. relevant information in order to run for the seat. But it's this third part that they're taking issue with. It was after the filing deadline and it was done by phone and Michael Cook was not in the office when Aaron Davidson called him and said, can I put you on the ballot as a Republican? He he maintains that his intent was clear. He had uh, verified with the state already in a different form that he wanted to run as a Republican. Uh, He was on speakerphone and several people heard him. Uh, So this is where the spirit of the law argument comes in. But the letter of the law is very clear, especially when it comes to the filing deadline. The candidate has to be in person. They cannot amend a form after the filing deadline unless it's a specific approved reason, like the information, right, like like an email address, right, certain things that are approved. Um, and also, again, it was it was past the deadline and it was not in person. So those are kind of the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law arguments that are being made right now. KSL 5 Television's Lindsay Ertz uh, ch- 
giving us the latest information that she has regarding this issue down in Utah County where somebody who's running for the legislature uh, didn't fill out the form. Um, and so the Utah County clerk said, you know, he called him. Um, he had his word that this is what he wanted it to say. And so he did it for him. And it was after the filing deadline. And, the, and it sounds like the clerk feels he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, he's kind of taking the argument that Dave said he agrees with in terms of, you know, his intent was pretty clear. And he made that same argument. We adjudicate ballots in state law. It allows for us to adjudicate ballots, which is just a big word to say we can determine the intent of the voter. We can call them and ask them or we can. Well, actually, we can't ask them how they voted, but we can we can we can presume their intent. Right. I think the difference I'll just point out is that. It is explicitly stated in state law that you can adjudicate a ballot and decipher the intent. It gives that power to county clerks. This is an example, a piece of the law that doesn't give any intent. It's pretty clear, pretty hard and fast in terms of you can't fill in a form after the deadline. So does this letter, this reprimand uh, that, that came to the county clerk, does it carry some sort of punishment? Uh, no, it doesn't. And essentially, it's just a strongly worded slap on the wrist from the state elections office to say, don't ever do this again. And this is a potential violation. Um, now, the, the state elections office is saying they are still going to allow the candidate, Michael Cook, to be on the ballot as a Republican if he gathers the requisite signatures, because that's what he selected on his candidate filing form. So the state elections office has made a determination here, and they say if somebody has an objection to it, they can take that issue up. Now, the only person who would really have an objection to this is Senator Mike McKell, who's right. running for the seat. He, he sure. declined to comment for the story. So okay. it's not known uh, which direction he'll go with this. But um, that's kind of where it stands right now. It's, it's not going to go any further from the state elections office, but it could get challenged, I guess, presumably. Lindsay, we have about 30 seconds left here, but I went online and I looked up the legislative filing form. It is not a complicated form. Uh, it's after your first name, your middle name, your last name, and the office that you're filing for in the district that you're in. It then says right under that, I am a member of the blank fill in the blank, political party. Um, so have you been able to figure out or talk to the candidate who the county clerk, you know, filled out the information for after the deadline uh, as to why he was confused about that form? No, I haven't been able to speak with him. I emailed him several times and never got a response from him. Um, so, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where it seems like the form is pretty simple, but clearly based on several errors that were made on this candidate filing form, Michael Cook just didn't quite fill out this form right. And in addition, I'll add that the Utah County staff didn't look over his form and the clerk admits mm. that before he left the office in order to double check that he had filled mm. everything in. Lindsay Ertz, thank you for joining us. Uh, great story, KSL 5 television reporter. Thanks, Lindsay. So I, I, I feel hints of rules for thee, but not for me in this. You know, it, it does, rules apply to those of us who are voting um, and, you know, not being able to get our ballot in like one day past the deadline or even 20 minutes past the deadline. But that in this case, um, the Utah County clerk gets a reprimand for filling in the paperwork after the fact. Uh, straight ahead.
Childcare spaces in Utah could expand significantly uh, if this new piece of legislation that is being debated on Capitol Hill uh, gets passed. It would let unlicensed daycare providers expand their openings from six to eight per unlicensed provider. But when you say the word unlicensed, oh, the crowd goes wild. It is incredibly offensive to a lot of licensed child care providers. And I think reflects the legislature's unwillingness to do anything about child care that isn't free, easy, and completely outside of their view. Hey, it's Debbie here. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. But you can also hear the Dave and Dujanovic show live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday, starting at nine or at KSLNewsRadio.com. Keyword podcast. So text that keyword to 57500 and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win. Eye on the Hill 2024. Special coverage with Dave and Dejanovic. Let's talk about the controversial piece of legislation that's being debated today on Capitol Hill regarding child care. We know um, that Utah, Dave, is in crisis. We're running low on child care options for families. In some cases, there just aren't any options. Utah lawmakers are debating a proposal to let unlicensed uh, child care facilities, I envision like in-home daycare type facilities, expand to how many kids they can legally care for from six to eight. Representative Susan Pulsifer joining us in just a few moments. She is the chief sponsor of this legislation. So just to be clear, Debbie, right now, unlicensed daycares can have six. Well, you may want to even back that up even more, Dave. Uh, there, Right now, there can be unlicensed daycares in Utah. So uh, let's bring in Susan Pulsifer. Uh, she's on the line right now. I know your time is limited, uh, Representative Pulsifer. Did I state that correctly? We currently have unlicensed daycares in Utah, and there are six spots that they can hold legally for children, but you want to expand that to eight. Yes, yes, we, that's what we are looking at is um, expanding, expanding to eight. And there's, there's a total currently of 10, and that would include your own children, and that won't change. So, for instance, if you had four children, then your total would actually be um, six still. Oh, okay. How common is this in Utah? I don't know. I don't know if it's common. And honestly, I think many people who would opt to do unlicensed child care may not want to go to the full eight. What I see that as is just an option for maybe a more unusual circumstance. And so what I mean by that is, say you have two children, and um, so that would give you the option to have eight and um, and maybe you only have four, but those four children are two families, and they each ha- have a cup, one or two children that go to school, and they just need a spot to come after school. So these would be older children. And maybe you, as a, a provider, said, you know, I'm just really good with having my four. That's great for me. But then I can these families, these parents need a place for their kids to come after school for a couple hours. And so then that gives me, if I have that seven or eight option, it -hmm. gives me that opportunity to have them. So I I see it more as um, 
increasing options for circumstances that are not, you know, like having kids there from 8 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock at night. Representative Susan Pulsifer live on the line with us right now, her bill being debated on Utah's Capitol Hill, and it would expand the number of child care slots available for unlicensed child care providers to to offer to parents from 6 to 8. Now, um, a lot of us have raised kids, and uh, I have three, and before I knew it, the neighborhood was over, and they were all playing, and I had, you know, eight kids, and it's a lot, but it would certainly be way too much if I was in charge of watching eight newborn babies or eight infants all at once. Uh, The dynamic changes when they get a little bit older, so is there an age limit on your legislation, Representative? Well, not in this, but the current legislation does um, limit the amount of babies that you can have. So th- that's already in current le- um, legislation. Do so we, this would do we know what this would be, what it would look like then? Uh, what 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 like the some of the scenarios would look like for these unlicensed providers? If I'm a parent, I show up with my infant. They could take my infant, correct? Well, there well there are there's a there's a limiting current legislation. That, you know, I, I, I don't remember on okay. the top of my head, but I think like two under the age of two or something like that. I don't. So there's something in place that would make, yes. make it so that an unlicensed provider wasn't watching eight infants all at once. OK. Right. OK. And then there's two other pieces to this bill that I think are very important. And one is it this bill now, this sub that was adopted, um, requires all unlicensed child care providers to have a background check and the same background check that the licensed providers are required to have. Okay. And that has not been in uh, the law at all. This is, this is brand new to require that background check to make sure that they have that same protection, you know, parents um, that they would have in a licensed facility. So are these unlicensed providers, uh, is this is this like somebody that's registered with the state or is this the mom, you know, in my neighborhood that, that watches some kids kind of on the side? Um, it, the current law says if you're doing it just um, sort of randomly or if you're a relative, then you you don't have to. But if you're just doing it kind of on the side now, if you're doing it in a business, you do have to get a city license, uh, you know, for a business. So even if you're unlicensed with the state, you would still have to get a city, a license with your city. And some of the cities do have regulations on how many kids you can have, depending on the size of your home and that sort of thing. Representative uh, Pulsifer, before we let you go, Voices for Utah Children spoken out against this legislation telling KSL 5 TV. It is incredibly offensive to a lot of licensed child care providers and I think reflects the legislature's unwillingness to do anything about child care that isn't free, easy, and completely outside of their view. We will speak live to Voices for Utah Children in just a moment, but I wanted to give okay. you an opportunity to uh, respond to that uh, that statement they're making. Well, I appreciate that because the, for me, the very most important part of this bill is the expansion of the tax credit we created last year. And last year, the tax credit 
would give um, families that had children between uh, the two and three year old age uh, a tax credit up to $1,000 per, per child. And this year, we're expanding that from to include four and five year olds. And that goes to the families and families can use that to however they choose to. But as I say, all children need childcare. If, so they could use it to be a stay-at-home parent or they can use it to provide childcare at any facility of their choosing and the parents get to choose. And I think that's one of the, I think it's the most important piece of this bill is, is helping the childcare industry in that way and helping families in that way. Representative Susan Pulsifer, thank you for joining us. Um, the bill, my understanding is, will be debated uh, today on Utah's Capitol Hill, uh, but we're not going to wait that long. <laughs> we're going to invite the other side of this uh developing story into the conversation straight ahead. Utah for Voices Children joining us in just a few minutes with their take. And we'll ask them what how they feel about the expansion of this tax credit uh, to include four and five-year-olds, Dave. Because right now, there is not enough. There's not enough providers, whether they're licensed or there's certainly not enough licensed child care providers out there. Unlicensed child care providers provide a crucial uh, role in this. So uh, I think in general, we've got to figure out a way to, to give parents opportunities to, to get their kids looked after. Dave and Dujanovic. Dave and Dujanovic. Eye on the Hill 2024. Special coverage with Dave and Dujanovic. So important we keep an eye on legislation that impacts Utah families, and we do that every day right here on the Dave and Dujanovic show. And this one I could see having a positive impact when it comes to child care for people who are looking for places to place their children when they're at work. And right now we know we have a major deficit all across Utah with child care. Uh, we just spoke live with Representative Susan Pulsifer. And what was your main takeaway when it came to the child care component, Dave, uh, of her legislation? Number one, that it gives some flexibility. And I think as we look across Utah, and I think I'm sure you've experienced this, I have, we have all been in scramble mode where you're trying to find who can look after my kids. Maybe it's just for a few hours after after school. Maybe it's while I go to work. And I have personally, we have used friends, family, uh, neighbors. We, we've used everything. And I'll tell you, not once uh, have I gone through to my neighbor and said, hey, will you watch my kids and show me your license? If you're not up to speed on what her legislation says uh, and is being debated uh, on Capitol Hill today about its expansion from six to eight spots in an unlicensed daycare facility. It would require unlicensed daycare providers to do a background check, uh, something she says is not required right now. Many people who would opt to do unlicensed childcare may not want to go to the full eight. What I see that as is just an option for maybe a more unusual circumstance. And so what I mean by that is, say you have two children, and um, so that would give you the option to have eight. And, um, and maybe you only have four, 
but those four children are two families, and they each ha- have a cup, one or two children that go to school, and they just need a spot to come after school. So these which would be older makes children. sense to a lot of families. Jen Williams joins us right now from Voices for Utah Children. She's a policy analyst there. And Jen, thank you for joining us. What are your concerns about this bill? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, We originally were very supportive of this bill as it was originally just a child tax credit bill, Um, but then it was hijacked by some dangerous childcare licensing changes that we don't really feel mesh with the original intent of the bill. Um, So increasing the number of children an unlicensed uh, provider can care for in their home from six to eight um, for pay without a home inspection or safety training is something that we just find to be really dangerous and puts more children in those potentially dangerous situations. Um, and it's just really not a best practice for um, child safety. Now, uh, Representative Pulsifer said it would require background checks, which is something that people are doing now with uh, regarding unlicensed child care. Uh, they're doing it without a background check right now. So is that a step in the right direction? They would at least have to go through a background check? Yes, definitely a step in the right direction. The original substitute did not include any background check requirements, so we are happy to see that included. Our only concern, though, is that it's not totally enforceable. You know, there's a lot of people already operating unlicensed. How are we going to get those people certified? And then what's the oversight and the enforcement in checking those background checks, making sure people are operating um, if they, you know, not operating if they have been denied or, you know, what is really the process of enforceability going to look like, especially when, you know, these people are fully unlicensed, they are not operating um, above ground. Like we don't know who they are. We don't have data on them. Um, It's just a really difficult population to capture. What do you mean by we're putting our kids in dangerous situations? Well, this change would actually solidify Utah's place as the second worst state nationally in this aspect with only South Dakota allowing unregulated care for more than six children. So this is really not seen as a best practice when it comes to child care safety and appropriate ratios for caregivers and kids. Um, You know, this also means that because there's no formal oversight of informal child care providers, low-level incidents may go unreported, um, which can hinder early detection of potential risks. Um, You know, these providers don't get basic safety training, CPR, first aid, Um, These are just things that we think that if you're taking care of that many children for pay, you should have some formal training. Um, I want you to talk a little bit uh, in just a moment about that report that you issued uh, regarding or that your organization issued, Jenna, about uh, the child care crisis that we're in. But just want to remind our listeners, Jenna Williams, live on the line with us. She's with Voices for Utah Children. She's a policy analyst, and we're talking about a new policy that lawmakers are debating today on Capitol Hill that would expand the number of child care spots that an unlicensed daycare provider could have. They could move it from six to eight. Um, but you, your organization issued a report, and I'm trying to find my notes on it real quickly. So stand by. Here, I got them. Got them. Okay. Uh, there's this recent report that showed uh, that uh, we only have sufficient space in this state for 36% of all children under six whose parents work. Mm-hmm. And that is... A Voices uh, for Utah Children report. So this, to me, would kind of help solve that. So why come out opposed to it? Yeah, so there's actually no evidence that allowing unlicensed unlicensed providers to care for more children will increase child care capacity. We actually think it might have the opposite effect with people lowering their capacity and then avoiding licensure. So that would actually decrease the supply of child care capacity. 
um, you know, we have a lot of bills that we do support that we think are really positive and will push forward with increasing that access and making childcare more affordable. Um, this is not one of them. This is not supported by the childcare community. Um, we had a lot of childcare providers testify against this bill today. Um, not one of them was in support. So this is just not one of our priorities and we don't see it actually fixing the problem. What's the pathway and how difficult it is it to get licensed? Um, it is not, it's not super difficult to get licensed. Um, you know, there's a training component, there's the background checks, and then there's, um, you know, a safety inspection of your home. Um, really, probably one of the biggest stumbling blocks if we did want to make it easier to get licensed would be to align city and state regulations when it comes to child care. Um, sometimes those, those city-level burdens can be a lot more of a problem than some of this, like, small licensure changes. So uh, there's, it's, it's definitely not too difficult, um, but we do think it's kind of the bare minimum to make sure that kids are safe in care. How much does it cost? Um, I believe a background check is $62. Um, and then a background check, or sorry, certificate fee is 62. Background check is $20. A fingerprint is 33. Um, and then a business license, which would be with your city or municipality, is going to wide, widely range. So um, in Clearfield, for example, it's $2,500 for a business license. Okay. Jenna Williams, just before we let you go, I just have one quick point uh, that I wanted to follow up with you about. She's with Voices for uh, for Utah Children live on the line with us. You 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 mentioned something that actually did concern me. Um, well, a few things that you've said concerned me, but the idea that you would your organization is concerned that daycare licensed daycare providers may reduce the number of children that they have just so they can go unlicensed. Have you seen mm-hmm. examples or proof of that happening? Um, well, you know, they just lowered the, or sorry, they increased the number of children that providers for unlicensed could watch last year. And so that's another concern we have is that, you know, we just increased the number from four to six. Now this bill would make it go from six to eight. And we haven't had time to see how that's playing out and what the, really the impact is. Um, but as many as 200 home providers right now do have um, capacity for eight children. And so they could, you know, they could drop their licenses if they wanted to, um, you know, moving forward. So it's difficult to track unlicensed care. You know, there's always the argument that this is going to increase capacity. But we don't have any evidence for that. We don't have any data gathering. So um, that's, one of our, that's one of our main concerns for sure. Jenna Williams, thank you for joining us from Voices for Utah Children. What are your final thoughts on this, Dave, um, as we continue to track what happens on Capitol Hill throughout the day? I think parents are scrambling, trying to find daycare, Mm -hmm. an affordable daycare. And when there are regulations in place, it it just makes it more difficult. It makes it more costly. So I can see why people would want to go the unlicensed route. I, (laughs) excuse me, I think ultimately... Parents are going to decide what the best situation is for their kids. I'm sure there's unlicensed folks that are absolutely fantastic, and I'm sure there's licensed providers that I would never send my kids to. Just because you're licensed does not guarantee that you do a good job. Uh, It does put some guardlines or guardrails in place, though. Yeah. We'll follow it. I'm curious to see what happens on Capitol Hill with that legislation today. Straight ahead, uh, Jay Evenson. Uh, opinion editor for the Deseret News, wonders why Congress is so willing to call out social media companies. Mr. Zuckerberg, you and the companies before us, I know you don't mean it to be so, but you have blood on your hands. You have a product 
for not protecting society and children against the evils of social media. Uh, but they're not doing that much about the billions of dollars getting lost year after year to online gambling. Dave and DeGenevic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. Uh, Jay Evenson poses an excellent, excellent scenario and question in his uh, latest opinion piece in the Deseret News. And, and let me just tee it up this way. He talks about Utah lawmakers, members of Congress being laser focused on social media and how it impacts all of us, parents, teens, all of us. But what are they doing about the billions of dollars Americans are mindlessly gambling away online, offline, waiting in a long line to bet on the Super Bowl? Um, They're clearly going after social media companies for all of the ills they're causing us. Mr. Zuckerberg, you and the companies before us, I know you don't mean to it to be so, but you have blood on your hands. You have a product. You have a product that's killing people. I'm looking at the gambling world right now. It is so ubiquitous. It is everywhere. It is in every stadium. It's in every hallway. There, It is a multi-billion dollar business and sports, which for so long, Major League Baseball, NBA, have long put up the full stop. Like, we are not going to be associated, anything to do with with gambling. They are just welcoming it in right now. As I sat down to watch the Super Bowl just the other night, uh, Jay, uh, the first one of the first commercials I happened to see when I finally figured out how to work the stream um, was an online gambling commercial. And I was shocked that I was seeing this just before the biggest game um, ever in the NFL, literally the biggest game ever in the NFL in terms of viewership. I, I was struck just by the fact that the game was in Las Vegas. Now, I was a reporter ah. in Las Vegas back in the 1980s. And you go into a sports book there, and the NFL wouldn't even allow the logos of the teams to be used in, in, in their sports books. And in fact, in my in my column, I, I quote a lawyer for the NFL. This was in 2012, who says that they would never uh, allow gambling on NFL games because quote it would negatively impact our long term relationship with our fans, negatively impact the perception of our sport across the country. And you look where we are today. And Dave, you you were absolutely right. We are awash in gambling in this country and it's and and sports betting is leading the way ever since a 2018 Supreme Court decision allowed states to do it but lotteries casinos uh it's it's amazing and we have no idea what the social costs are of this one of the things that stands out to me and I where I will point a finger and say you know who's to blame and before you laugh it's fantasy football <laughs> Fantasy football the gateway. completely changed the way we look at gambling because, mm-hmm. in all honesty, any, anyone that's been in a fantasy football league, there is a level of skill of selecting the right players. And all of a sudden, the, the most knowledgeable and best fantasy football players were winning their league year in and year out. Well, Las Vegas saw that, and there became a market for that. And now, all of a sudden... You have what not no longer is a game of chance, 
but as a game of skill. And they've they've done built a lot of this gambling around this idea that oh, it's no longer a game of chance. This is a skill. But yeah, so when you talk about the statistics, there are some rather alarming trends. And when you go to addictions.com and and they say. 75% of college students, and it's mostly males, have gambled, made a, uh, some type of a bet in, within the last year on an online um, site. And these are the formative years for, uh, for the brain, right? Until you're 25, about, you're, your mind's not fully developed. And they're training themselves to gamble. And, and in, in some cases... They're gambling away their uh, their student loans. They're uh, they're gambling money they don't have and getting into trouble. We don't know now. The, you'd look up statistics and it says about one to two percent of gamblers become quote problem gamblers. Those are old figures and and anecdotally, uh, the centers that deal with gambling addictions say they've had tri- a tripling or more mm-hmm. of of calls so in the easy. last couple of years. You can have it on your phone. You can have it on your phone, and you can make wagers within the game. You can say, "Oh, do I think Kansas City is going to punt on this uh, drive?" You know, and you you wager on that, or on what type of, is it going to be a passing play or a running play? It just never ends. Uh, we're talking to Jay Evenson. He's opinion editor of the Deseret News. You can find his opinion pieces at Deseret dot com. Um, Super Bowl gambling: Why Utah shouldn't legalize gambling. Uh, so let's go there. Uh, in fact, we had Representative Kira Berklin call us on another piece of legislation she was sponsoring and uh, said this about a state lottery kind of out of the blue at us. I'm going to make a quick pitch that if we're trying to figure out how to renew the revenue lost from eliminating the state income tax, we could always look at the lottery. Okay. Uh, and lawmakers uh, are, are, are kind of dancing around the idea, but they're not fully on board with it. I don't think it really stands a chance up on Capitol Hill. No. But what, 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 what did you find in your research? There today? is actually data on this, and lotteries are not living up to their promises. The Washington Post did a really good piece fairly recently and said lotteries were promised as the way to solve our education problems and provide money for schools. And yet in states that have lotteries, their, their schools are still cash-starved. And in a lot of cases, uh, lawmakers just simply don't provide the funding that they normally would have from property taxes or income taxes and rely on lotteries instead. The problem there is that then states really want people to gamble. And so there's a lot of billboards and commercials and advertisements luring people uh, to gamble, state-sponsored advertisements. To me, this is distorting the relationship between taxpayers and their government. We elect representatives. They look at the overall budget. They try to decide what's reasonable, and we pay taxes expecting things in return. And instead, this is saying, oh, you're going to make it rich by supporting the state, or you you possibly could. And it, it affects the poor way disproportionately. And there have been studies that show uh, oh, yeah. this. It's, it's really incontrovertible evidence, and I think it's the wrong way to go. Jay Evenson, thank you for joining us, opinion editor for Deseret News. Jay, can we get you to stick around? You bet. Okay, because we want every time you're here, we take live phone calls. The phone lines light up, so you're our good luck charm. Oh, thank you. We want to bet on you uh, that you're going <laughs> to inspire people to call in. Let's ask her the question: Do you support a lottery in Utah? Simple question.
maybe more complicated answer? Do you support a lottery in Utah? Your live calls next. David Nujanovic. David Nujanovic. We're taking your live phone calls in just a moment. We're also live with Jay Evenson, who's the opinion editor of the Deseret News, who wrote about gambling and uh, why Utah shouldn't legalize gambling. Representative Kira Berkland, when she called the show oh, just a couple of weeks ago on another piece of legislation, kind of floated this one by Dave and I. We're like, what? I'm going to make a quick pitch that if we're trying to figure out how to renew the revenue lost from eliminating the state income tax, we could always look at the lottery. It's a temptation. The lottery is a temptation because a lot of money is spent on it. A lot of... Uh, a lot of focus has has been made over the years of, oh, we're just driving up to Idaho to buy our lottery tickets. Why don't we just do the, do them here? We could benefit our schools. I see the temptation, but Jay Evenson, who joins us from the Deseret News, uh, we we've seen uh, a lot of research done on this, yeah. and the promises that the lottery brings. Again, there's always really lofty promises. They don't. Play, they don't play out that way. The promises don't play out, and it's disproportionately poor people who buy the tickets. And we're in a place this year where we could eliminate the, the state sales tax on food to help low-income people. And it would be ironic to impose a lottery that preys on the poor people more in order to fund our government. Live on the line now, Mick from Harriman, for or against a lottery in Utah. Hi, Mick. Oh. We lose you? Oh. Our producer took notes, said Mick from Harriman is for it. Uh, but he, he he dropped. So let's get to let's get let's go to line one, Bryce uh, from Springville. Excellent. Hi, Bryce. Hi, I am definitely against it, but I do have a problem. I'm a Lotto Day Saint. Occasionally I'll buy about twelve a year. And my understanding is if you buy a lottery ticket in Arizona, Wyoming or wherever, you have to pay the state tax you win it in. And even though Utah doesn't believe in it, they will be glad to tax you because of your winnings. And you have to pay two states, and therefore you lose 60% of your intake. Oh. Now, if they don't believe in it, they shouldn't have their hand in the pie. Well, then why in the world am I pulling a slot machine hoping for the best in Las Vegas when I walk by one if I have to pay all of these taxes? Do you know anything about that, Jay? Uh, no, other than um, it is earnings, and I suppose yeah, that I suppose. you have to be taxed on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, and I, I do think they collect it like basically like right there on the spot, I'm mean, going to guess, I'm for sure. Nevada. Yes. I don't think they 1099 you for that, but I could be <laughs> wrong. You can clearly tell I've never won much at all. Nothing yeah. more than a $250 jackpot in, in Vegas. Which, which in general, like taxing uh, gambling earnings is a head scratcher because they don't let me deduct any losses. <laughs> Anytime I lose, like which one is it? You don't want me to deduct losses? I will pay you all you want in in my winnings. On our KSL text line at five seven five zero zero J, this listener says, "I support a lottery as long as the profits go toward education and homeless or low income issues." I, I want to focus on the education component of this because when I grew up in Arizona, and I've said it many times on this show. The lottery started in the early 1980s, I want to say 1981, and there was the scratch-off tickets, and then it eventually morphed um, kind of in short order to the lotto drawing every Saturday night. Um, And there was a promise, a distinct promise, that the money would go toward education. I did some follow-up on that uh, not too long ago. I think it was about a week and a half ago when Dave was um, on a sick day. 
um, and I was um, co-anchoring the show with Taylor Morgan, and we were talking about this. And I looked it up, and it's really hard. And the Arizona Republic tried to track the funding from lottery profits and where it went once it got into state coffers, and it goes into the general fund. Yeah. Much of it. Some of it does yeah. go to uh, projects uh, here and there, but much of it goes into the general fund, and then it gets dispersed from there. It is really hard to track dollars once they end up in the big dump of the of the general fund. Right, and a lot of states are still suffering from a lack of money for education. And what happens often is lawmakers will then reduce the taxes for education that they were paying before the lottery and just rely on that lottery money only which means then that the state has an incentive to lure you to play the lottery. Um, so it's, it's, it hasn't lived up to its promises. It's not the answer to solving education funding in Utah. Well, and one thing that never gets advertised when it comes to the lottery, I, I'm looking at an article from Fox uh, 61 in Washington, and they were talking about this billion-dollar jackpot, so the a one06 billion dollar jackpot that was won and they were calculating between taxes uh, between cash payouts what the real take-home money is 424 million dollars now i think the three of us could probably live just fine off 424 million dollars but the marketing again is a billion dollar jackpot yeah and then you start playing that out with the smaller uh lotteries that are out there it it just goes to show you that a lot of this is marketing it's yes. advertising yes. you're not actually becoming a billionaire and, and again the lottery advertising is exempt from truth and advertising laws through the federal trade commission what does that mean well that that means they can they can Say what they want. Pretty much say what they want. They they can uh, exaggerate and uh, and promise and and uh, yeah. And then in the very small one size font at the bottom of the commercial, it shows the you know this this jackpot will be reduced after multiple taxes to less than four hundred thousand or whatever right. four hundred million dollars. I wanted to speak for a moment to this. Um, you know, I grew up. I was at eighty one. I was what fourteen years old when the lottery came to Arizona, um, and I grew up surrounded by opportunities to play the lottery okay every single convenience store sold the lottery tickets and i grew up and i moved away from arizona in my 20s so i definitely had time in those years to go buy them on my own and i was dead broke so i might have been in the mindset to be like hey i'm just going to swing into the circle k here i'm going to grab myself a lottery ticket i'm going to get out of this jam I'm in financially because i'm going to hit the jackpot and i could have done that every single week um, until I moved away. And I moved to Utah. And there's no legalized gambling and there's no lottery. I have not missed it at all, yeah. nor when I was there did I play it that often. I mean, honestly, it would be like, oh, you know, maybe I'm getting a soda once a year. And I'm like, no, it's my birthday. I'm going to buy myself a lottery ticket and I'd scratch it off and be a big loser, I'd win two bucks, and it wouldn't even be worth cashing in kind of a thing. I think we tend to want what we don't have. And my experience uh, growing up surrounded by opportunities to play the lottery literally 24-7, it did not do a thing for me. I, I moved away. I don't miss it. I hardly played it when I was there. I think the idea that um, we want something that we don't have, it's just typical of how we function as and think as humans. 
But even when a lottery hits, you know, four hundred billion dollars, you know, and it's a two-hour drive to Malad, Idaho, I just. It's so rare that I make that drive. It's more common I would make that drive for when I was in television news covering the story of all the mm-hmm. Utahns driving mm-hmm. up there that I would go there. But I would never go there on my own, Jay. Well, it's because in the back of your mind you understand the odds are astronomically oh. against you. The other argument you always hear is that, oh, gambling is going on anyway. and We're just going to legalize yeah. it and then we're going to uh, control it. But um, you can show that where you legalize it and begin advertising it, then you then people are introduced to gambling who otherwise would never think of it. And then you have an increase in, in um, gambling addictions and those kinds of problems. Yeah, sports gambling, it, it is the hottest ticket in town. It is becoming absolutely uh, – has taken the sports world uh, – like a, a, a wildfire. Dave, can you take us back uh, in the next 60 seconds or so when your dad played in the MLB and he played with Pete Rose and compare that situation with Pete Rose's gambling to today? Yeah, my dad was uh, playing for the Reds back in the, the late 60s and early 70s. Pete Rose was his roommate. Uh, oh, okay. And so he knew Pete very well. Uh, Pete was great to our family. Pete mm. was fantastic. Pete had a, a gambling issue all the way back then. And and when he got booted out of baseball, got banned from the Hall of Fame, I thought, oh, I, I got to ask my dad's opinion on this. I thought, for sure, dad's going to be on Team Pete. And he said, no, he broke the cardinal rule. You can't bet on your team. They still don't let uh, players gamble, though, right? Right. And bet on their team. Yeah. But they sure have opened up the doors for many, many, many people to very, very easily gamble online. Yeah. Wow. Great story, Dave. Thanks, Jay. Great opinion piece. Uh, You can read it at Deseret.com. Straight ahead, Senator Mitt Romney voting in favor of legislation to fund more defense money to go to Ukraine. Boyd up next with full analysis. Hey, it's Debbie here. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. But you can also hear the Dave and Dujanovic show live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday, starting at nine, or at kslnewsradio.com. Keyword podcast. So text that keyword to five seven five zero zero, and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win. Dave and Dujanovic have inside sources. Uh, the Senate's passed a, a total of a $94 billion aid package. Um, now, as part of that piece, $61 billion of it uh, in economic and military assistance for Ukraine. Um, Senator Mitt Romney uh, took to the floor just uh, before the vote. The most important vote we will ever take as United States senators. We're not being asked to send American troops into war. We are asked to help the Ukrainians defend themselves. It's a proxy war. I mean, we we are sending uh, money, armaments, uh, intelligence to fight the Russians. And the fact that we don't risk American lives makes it uh, more palatable. But we can't forget There are hundreds of thousands of people that have died in this war on both sides. And it is ugly and it is brutal and it is devastating to this 
And the one thing I, I am a little nervous with is that this conversation is starting to become so political that we're forgetting that there's people dying every day over there. Boyd Matheson of Inside Sources joining us every day at 11.05 with his uh, inside analysis. Uh, what, what's your take on the fact this fly, this passes with flying colors? Uh, looks like it happened early this morning. I was asleep. <laughs> what? <laughs> I know, right? Uh, uh 70 in favor, 29 opposed. Mm-hmm. Romney votes in favor. Senator Mike Lee uh, votes against it. Uh, there you go, Boyd. Um, uh, <laughs> let's break it down. Let's, yeah, let's uh, let's break it down what all this means and where it'll go from here. Yeah, and so I think there's some interesting things under the headlines of all of this. So it, it was a bipartisan vote, to be sure. Uh, there's some interesting ways to, to look at what actually took place. I think where most of the senators who voted against it had a problem was that there was no process in terms of amendments and opportunities to change. And because of that, there were actually three Democrats who voted against this. Because they had problems with a blank check going to Israel, not to Ukraine. Remember, that was part of this package. So you had three Democrats voted against it. You actually had the majority, the majority of Republicans voted against the bill. So it was a minority, including some from leadership, uh, who were part of that group that voted against it. So some interesting things under the headlines there to to take a look at. But I, I think bringing it full circle to Dave's point, Uh, I think most people are complaining about the process of this, that there was no chance to really check it. And and let me tell you what I mean by that. So when you look at uh, funding going to Ukraine, I think there were a number of senators who want to support Ukraine saying we should only be sending them hard material, bombs, guns, bullets, tanks, that kind of stuff. We shouldn't be sending economic aid packages. Let let Europe do that. Let them, they're closer to that situation. Uh, plus, there's been a, a history of where that money goes in terms of what gets dumped into a government there in Ukraine. Remember, Vladimir uh, Zelensky struggled early on with the deep, deep corruption that was going on inside the government. So he's, he's had his hands full with just rooting out all of the corruption in his own government. So that's an interesting thing to have a debate about. Uh, and to me, that's why I think you still have some voting against, not necessarily because they, they don't want to support Ukraine, but they're saying we shouldn't do this economic side. Let's do things that actually would be very beneficial to the United States because guns, bombs, tanks, those will all be manufactured in the United States by U.S. workers uh, would actually help the U.S. replenish some of our own armament that has been depleted uh, over the last couple of years. I was listening on X yesterday when Senators Ron Johnson, J.D. Vance, and Mike Lee uh, joined Elon Musk, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, David Sachs. Anyway, they, they were having this roundtable, and they were describing Ukraine. And early on when the Ukrainian wars began, we were following it so closely. We had live pictures. We were watching. We, we knew about the convoy to Kiev and how they were battling and installed. We knew all these stories. It's been two years. So much has happened. We hardly ever talk about it anymore. And so I didn't know exactly how, how's the progress? What are things, what's happening there in Ukraine? And we know that for the past year, the counteroffensive has been an utter failure. It hasn't been effective at all. So what does the next, you know, few months, 
next year, next several years look like. Yeah, uh, and it is. Uh, one, it's easy. We lose our attention so fast uh, here in the United States because it's it's pretty safe here. <laughs> and and we, Vladimir Putin <laughs> was probably counting on this. Yeah. It, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Vladimir Putin has been counting on from day one that the West would lose interest in this and become fatigued and tired and look for some kind of settlement for sure. Uh, I think one of the interesting things to look at uh, when you talk about those counteroffensive not working, uh, a counteroffensive is the most difficult thing. All of the military experts that I've talked to in D.C. say that uh, one thing that Putin is really good at is all of the things that just hold the line. So the Ukrainians are having to spend days and days and days to get six feet uh, because of, of trenches, because of cement barriers, because of, of landmines. They're having to clear all of those out. And so it's very hard. So the thing that we haven't done, and this is where the slow walk, both by not getting this aid package done, Senator Romney's right on that, and the Biden administration, remember, slow walking the delivery of what was actually approved by Congress. The Biden administration was so slow getting the actual munitions to them that all they could do is fight six inches and six feet at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's tough slog. What they really need is the kinds of weapons that you can do the longer range so then you can soften up what's behind those lines. And then when you punch through, you can actually get some momentum. But right now, it's I mean, it's like World War One style. It is an inch and a foot and a couple of meters at a time. Uh, and so we shouldn't be surprised that there hasn't been great progress. Uh, and part of that is they're not getting exactly what they need to win. One thing to have what you need to fight the fight and right. keep a stalemate going it's a completely different animal to actually try to win. If you're just joining us, Boyd's in studio with us talking about this legislation that got passed out of the Senate this morning. Senator Mitt Romney voting in favor of funding for Ukraine. Senator Mike Lee voting against it. Senator Romney had plenty to say before the vote. If we fail to help Ukraine, Putin will invade a NATO nation. He may delay his next invasion until he rebuilds his decimated military. But we must be clear-eyed. Ukraine is not the end, it is a step. If we fail to help Ukraine, China will eventually absorb Taiwan. If we fail to help Ukraine, we will abandon our word and our commitment, providing to our friends a view that America cannot be trusted. Boyd, we got 30 seconds left here. What is the House going to do with this? So uh, <laughs> we're going to need about two hours. You're going to have to come back for well, Inside Sources Well, that's your show. Today. Perfect. Uh, there, there are some real complicated maneuvers that could and okay. should be done. Uh, so it's not dead on arrival. There are some avenues oh. that could happen. Uh, we're going to have James Walner joining us. Uh, there's actually a way that the Democrats could bring this to the floor without Speaker Johnson bringing it to the floor. Really? Fascinating stuff. Okay. Uh, so we'll get into all that with James awesome. Walner. I, I will say that Senator Romney got it right in terms of the message it sends to our allies and to our enemies. And to me, this is one of those classic and conversations. We can do the right thing to help Ukraine and freedom around the world and we can do it in a way that is responsible to the American people and our own security here at home. Boyd Matheson, thank you. Inside Sources today starts at 1. Well, today is decision day for people, uh, voters in New York. Uh, will they allow the GOP to control that seat? Uh, the George Santos kind of, I don't know how to put this, Dave. He blew it up. <laughs> he blew it up. Remember, Romney. Look, he's a sick puppy. 
Uh, he, he shouldn't be. He shouldn't be there. Oh, he's not there anymore. <laughs> but somebody else still, soon will be. Will it be a Democrat or a Republican? Let's get live with News Nation next. David Dujanovic, special coverage of the top national story. Well, David, I admit it. We have never quite been this obsessed with a seat in Congress. Is like really nothing to do with Utah, but we have been just. We're on George Santos' beat, and we have been since the beginning of his lies when they started to unfold, and we have not let go, and today is no different. We've got a live report from News Nation in just a moment. Today is a big day. It's a big day uh, because it'll determine whether the GOP Republican can hold on to his seat that Liar Liar Pants on Fire lost uh, when he was booted out of Congress. Yeah, there were so many things early on when we started learning about his lies. They were... (laughs) <laughs> some were white lies, some were big lies, and then we started hearing about allegations of illegal criminal behavior, yeah. and that led to indictments. Yeah, and some of them were fine lines and wrinkles lies, like when he's accused of using campaign funds to you know, buy Botox like you do, lied about his high school like you do. Like, does anybody care where you went to high school? Uh, lied about college, uh, lied about uh, where he'd worked. Uh, by the way, Dave looked into it. He's never worked at Goldman Sachs or Citigroup. And this is the one that really just was like, what in the world is going on in this man's head? Uh, lied about his mom dying on like in 9-11. You know, like at the World Trade Centers, dying in 9-11. Well, he forgets his lies because a few years later he tweets out that, oh, my mom's been gone for five years now or something like that. And, you know, that was like 15 years later, you know, that she actually had died. So um, this is a really, it's an unfortunate situation for Republicans in the House uh, because the margins are so tight as as they are. You don't want to, you never want to lose a seat and you certainly don't want to lose a seat like this. Yeah. And it is so close. Uh, it's such a narrow advantage for Republicans right now. Joining us right now from News Nation, Morning in America weekend anchor in Adoba. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you're in New York right now. This is the talk of the town, I'm sure. Oh, it's also a very snowy town today, guys. There's a nor'easter oh, hitting yeah. Nassau County. That's actually where I am in the 3rd Congressional District. You are right. This race is a nail-biter. It's within the margin of error. I'm saying I'm in Nassau County, but for today's purposes, this is ground zero for a narrowly split house. This race is so close. Now, Tom Swazi, he is one of the candidates. He's a seasoned politician. He's actually held this seat for six years before an unsuccessful run for governor. He's a registered Democrat. But guys, I have to I have to tell you, while he's been campaigning this time around, he's really seemed to distance himself from President Joe Biden. His opponent very different from him, that she's a political newcomer. She is from Ethiopia. She served in the Israeli military, and she moved here with her husband and seven kids. She has relentlessly been attacking Swazi when it comes to immigration, being weak on immigration. Now, according to voters here in this district, their concerns align with a lot of other Americans, immigration, immigration, immigration. And that's what's bringing so many voters to this special race today, to the special election, despite that nor'easter outside. And I'm not exaggerating, guys. I've covered blizzards. This probably is one of go- going to be one of the worst storms New York has seen in the last two years. 
My goodness. Stay so safe. turnout is going to be a disaster. That's what they're afraid of. But I have to say, I'm in a polling place right now. I'm at Millie, uh, Mineola Middle School, and they've been trickling in. We did speak to the Swazi campaign. They think this actually may be a benefit for Swazi because of early voting. That started about nine days ago, and 11,000 more Democrats did take part in early voting. So they think that might give a slight advantage to Swazi. With that said, both campaigns are offering more rides today to make sure voters get to the polls, despite this crazy weather Volunteers are still going door to door, making sure that voters come out and, you know, cast their vote for this very important race, like you guys mentioned, that has national implications. I also very quickly want to talk about the money pouring into this race, guys. We know the Swazi campaign has spent close to $20.8 million on ads. Mozzie Pillup, she spent about $7.2 million in ads. Wow. That's all those super PACs coming into this district because they are going to be looking at this race as a bellwether come November. We're live right now with Enadoba, who's on the ground in New York uh, covering the special election um, after George Santos got booted from Congress. Um, there's a Democrat running. There's a Republican running. And we should know in the next, uh, by tomorrow morning, certainly, if the Republicans can retain that seat or if they have to hand it off to a Democrat. Um, I'm curious, any sightings of George Santos? Like, what's become of this man? Do you have any idea, Anna? Um, he has said, because, you know, he's been very popular on X. He hasn't stopped tweeting. He, he did say for this specific race he was not going to take to social media We'll see if that's true, because in the past, uh, you know, he's very vocal on social media. In fact, when Mayorkas wasn't impeached last week because of that narrow margin, he actually tweeted out, miss me yet? And Florida Representative Matt Gates said on another network, we actually miss George Santos. So that just shows how close this race is and how badly Republicans want to keep this seat in the House. This is such an interesting district. Long Island, right? (laughs) Uh, right. Biden wins by eight points in 2020. Then, but by right. 2022, Santos flips that seat. So, what are you hearing from from the folks there? Do they hold the Republican Party responsible for George Santos, or or is this guy just the the renegade? And they say that was just a bad apple. You know what? That's what it seems like. We've been talking to a lot of voters coming in and they are saying, look, we just want to moderate. We just need someone we know. But I did mention how the Pillup campaign is attacking Swazi on being weak on immigration. The Swazi campaign is actually comparing Pillup to George Santos saying, just like Santos, we don't need we don't know much about this candidate either. So they're certainly using those tactics about you know, the disgraced George Santos and comparing Mozzie Pillip to that as well, just saying, listen, she hasn't been in the political game very long. We don't know what to expect from her. And Adoba, thank you for joining us from News Nation, uh, weekend anchor at Morning in America. Thank you for joining us. You know, I could sense um, Republicans being concerned about another newcomer. Uh, or voters just in general being concerned about another newcomer because they didn't know. A lot. I'm not trying to compare her in any way to him, but they, but certainly their history is like they didn't know a lot about him either. And they found out about it after the fact. Yeah. Yeah. And there was big buyer's remorse. This race has been interesting. I was uh, reading in the New York Times today. Uh, one, one little story as they were campaigning, uh, Mozzie and Swazi. 
she's holding a press conference outside a migrant shelter. So migration has been a huge campaigning uh topic between the two so she holds this press conference outside the shelter and swazi sees it happening he drives to the press conference as soon as she wraps up he holds his own press conference he's like just what you heard her say that's that's (laughs) like this this sounds like just a, a wild campaign and to see uh who actually ends up being victorious in this huge snowstorm, this huge nor'easter. Yeah, might certainly impact turnout. Uh, We do know that George Santos uh, still faces a slew of of, of federal charges. Of course, we're going to continue to follow that. Uh, But that's a story for another day. Right now, the story at hand is whether the GOP, the Republican Party, can hold on to the seat. He blew it for them. He blew it for them. That seat is on the line today. We're going to have full and complete coverage of the results tomorrow right here on the Dave and Jujanovic show. Uh, Next, uh, you know, tomorrow's Valentine's Day. Dave panics. Eyes get big. He's starting to sweat. Um, But we don't want to to make sure Cupid doesn't distract you from your partner's secret financial troubles. What is this song? Who picks our music? How come Jeff Kaplan, how does Jeff Kaplan get all the good music? Right on the money. Special coverage with Dave and Dejanovic. You know, we were talking to Ted Rossman uh, of Bankrate about financial infidelity in marriages and relationships, just any type of live-in relationships. And he told us when we had this conversation with us yesterday, uh, Dave, that 42% of fam- of couples find themselves in a situation where their loved one, the person they love most in the world, has cheated on them financially. Sometimes you do hear sad stories, you know, sometimes relating to addiction or you know, things like that. Sometimes people have run up substantial amounts of secret debt I really do think that the best approach is to just be honest and communicative, even if there's something in your past that you're not really proud of, like you spent too much or you took on too much debt or whatever it is. I do think people are mostly forgiving and you want to work together on it. What's harmful, though, is when the secret festers for a long time and then the other person's wondering. So my question for you, Deb, what qualifies I'm looking for the loopholes here. What qualifies as financial cheating on uh, your spouse? And we also want to talk about red flags as well. Um, and we'll be taking your live phone calls in just a few moments. Um, so what qualifies as financial cheating? You open up a whole bunch of credit cards. You don't tell your spouse about them. And I keep saying spouse, but your significant other. If you are in a long-term committed relationship, you're living together, um, they're counting on you to be honest with them. Yeah. So if you're out, uh, behind the scenes, running up credit card debt or opening up um, a whole bunch of, of credit cards, it's eventually going to be found out uh, because you'll go to buy something together and the person that is uh, you know, trying to get the loan secured for you will spot something on your credit history and it'll pop up and then it'll open up a whole can of worms. So that's one form. I think that's where my mind goes first when you think about financial cheating. But Ted um, and Bankrate brought up another form of financial cheating. Uh, and this is like a secret savings account you didn't know anything about. And maybe as a couple, you're kind of skimping by, you don't have enough money uh, to buy the day-to-day stuff, but then you find out your lover 
is hoarding a whole bunch of money in a savings account. That could be considered financial infidelity as well. Yeah, that I can, you can kind of see because the question I would ask is, what's that for? Is that a parachute in case things get too rocky Ah. here? Uh, Is it because uh, you're, what, you're saving up for a big Christmas present for me? Because that's totally fine. But the questions immediately, you think, why are you hiding that from Mm -hmm. me? Well, my mind immediately went here when we were talking about this yesterday. It's like, who are you running away with? You know? (laughs) Who 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 are you gonna you know jump on a? How much do you need to say for with? a divorce attorney? Yeah, so I think anytime we're private um, in our relationship about our finances, there's just this question of doubt as to like what are your motivations. So uh, our research department here at the Dave and Dijanovic Show uh, found five signs of financial infidelity, um, and we're going to see if we can add to some of these. I think it's uh, just important to talk about because if you're doubting your partner because your gut tells you something is up, it probably is. So here's five signs of financial infidelity. Like your partner is financially cheating on you behind your back. You didn't know anything about these secret accounts or the secret savings account. They're very private about finances. They don't want to tell you a thing about it. That's clue number one. Uh, The second clue is they get really defensive about finances. So you ask them about, uh, you know, oh, how'd you get the money for that new boat you just bought? Mm. Because you look it up online and you find out that boat is a, you know, $100,000 boat, which is kind of how much boats are these days, baseline. Or how do you afford to go out to lunch every single day? Yeah, they get defensive. Um. They project the accusations about finances back to you. Well, you do it too. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge red flag. If somebody's projecting in a relationship anything back onto you, I always look at that as like, all right, what's going on in your life that you are trying to make me the problem? Um, So they've hidden money, uh, money issues in the past is another flag. Like sometimes it's it's really difficult when somebody has a money issue. It's usually uh, for them to just instantly turn it around. In my experience, it's related to other underlying issues. Like they can't hold a job and so they're always relying on credit cards or they have some sort of an addiction problem and so they're constantly in money troubles. Um, so if they've hidden this in the past... I would look at that as a red flag that it could be happening in in the current relationship. Uh, And there's probably also some underlying issues going on that haven't been addressed. How about some solutions? Oh, what is your solution? Uh, I like what Ted Rossman had to say. He was was giving us some ideas of what we could do. Because it's very easy. My wife does all the bills in our family. So I've abdicated a lot of responsibility. I get a I get a little stipend <laughs> every paycheck, uh, and and I can just you know spend the money how I want. But he said it's not just enough uh, to to just abdicate all responsibility. One idea is this: how about a money date? I really would urge people to communicate honestly and openly about money. It's not always the easiest thing to do, but. You know, one recommendation would be to set up a money date with your spouse once a month. And you talk about upcoming bills, but you also talk about goals. 
buying a house, getting out of debt, saving for retirement, things like that. I feel like when you're aligned on the goals, then you're pulling in the same direction. And it's not so much of, oh, we have a budget so that we can say no to all this kind of spending. I really like that advice. I think that's a cool piece of advice. Uh, set up a money date. Where, so it's so it's not always confrontational or uh, you're not accusing someone of you know, impropriety, but it's just, it's a conversation we're having. This is what we do. Now, the biggest surprise I had, Debbie, in, in this kind of research that was going on was a third of people found that financial infidelity was just as bad as yeah. physical infidelity. Yeah. That seems wild to Why? me. Why? That is not even in the ballpark for me. Oh, I I can see that. Absolutely. It, they both come back to trust. If somebody is financially cheating on you, there's a lack of trust in the relationship. If somebody is physically uh, cheating on you, there's a lack of trust in the relationship. So is financial infidelity as bad as physical infidelity? Let us know. Right on the money. Special coverage with Dave and DeGenevic. Well, until we get to that news conference, let's talk to our listeners uh, live right now asking this question. Is financial infidelity in your relationship as bad as physical infidelity? Mike from Eagle Mountain, go first. What do you what do you think about this? Um, well, I don't think it's as bad. For me, uh, physical infidelity, uh, she would be gone immediately. <laughs> but the financial I would ah. uh, work through, which is which is something that I've had to do. I've got uh, like 10 or 12,000 squirreled away, but the reason I have that is for anything unforeseen that comes along. And also because if she knows it's there, she's going to spend it. <laughs> you got to work on that, though. you got to work on that. What happens if something happens to you, an unfortunate thing happens to you? Is somebody going to know where that money is? Yeah, I've uh, I've made arrangements so that it's not, uh, you know, like lost forever. Yeah. All right, yeah. Mike. Thanks so much. Uh, Kelsey from West Jordan. Is financial infidelity as bad as physical infidelity? Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Sorry, Hi. we have you listed as Kelsey. So <laughs> new name. It's your it's your pseudo name for on air. Wink, wink. Hi, okay, Kathy. <laughs> we'll go with the Kelsey. All right. Love it. Um, um I have. Ex-husband, we were married for 27 years, and he was online with other women for a year before I figured that out. I'm sorry. And then one of them talked him into uh, buying gold from, I guess, Africa. So he took 30000 out of his retirement fund, thinking that I would never find out. Well, it was one of those love for money, big scams, you know? Yeah. Oh. So, yeah. Was that, the, was that the deal breaker for you guys? Yes. Yes. How'd you find out? And, Can I ask you? Well, his paycheck, they, from taking it out of his 401k, he had to pay it back. Oh, so you saw the pay and stubs. So, yes. It was like $600 short a month. And he would keep lying and lying, and and then the the stress kind of took over, and and he ended up having to go into a psych ward for about a week, and it just kind of went downhill from there. You know, you you can't have a marriage when there's no honesty, and even when you find out it, there's lies. 
Yeah. Wow. That's intense. And I am so sorry you went through that. Um, and I hope you're doing better now. Well, our, after two and a half years, our divorce is finally final and I can start moving on. So, Well, show yourself a lot of self-love on this Valentine's Day. Um, and my thoughts are with you. Um, when you're stuck in a situation like this um, where the money's just not there and you suspect something is up, this turned into a bigger, even bigger issue yeah. Um for for her and um her now ex-husband. So what a sad sad situation. And from the flip side, this is what ends up happening when you're involved in that kind of stuff. You know, it's like somebody's going to find out eventually. Mm-hmm. Guess what? You were just scammed out of 30 grand. It was you were involved, you were like you know, baited from the beginning. Whoever you were talking to online, just speaking generally now, yeah. never loved you to begin with. They were never going to want to be with you. In fact, this is so rampant. It's called pig butchering. There's a name for it. And in light of Valentine's Day and our uplifting discussions that we have in store for tomorrow, we're going to talk about the trend of these fake lovers online pig butchering middle-aged men. They go after you for a reason, and they pretend like they're a young girl or young woman who is head over heels in love with you. I got news for you. They are not. They're not even interested. They're only interested to see how much they can scam you out of financially. And unfortunately, because there's so much shame and embarrassment when this happens, and and clearly there there's uh, some infidelity going, whether it's just emotional, uh, financial, physical. There's a lot of things going on that play into the scammer's uh, playbook because you're trying to hide everything. You don't want anyone to know. You can't you know bounce your ideas off anybody else. I wanted to uh, get back to our developing story. Um, I don't know that we have much more information, but we uh, do know that there was an incident involving, I think as a Utah Highway Patrol trooper, don't know if there's any other uh, police officers or patrol cars involved. It happened earlier this morning. We got word of this at about um, maybe about 11 o'clock this morning here at Broadcast House that there was a major incident. Uh, Ricky Meese in our traffic center has warned drivers to stay away from I-80 and 7200 West. We then cut in live, and we went live to the scene with uh, Hugo Ricard-Bell, who's been out there covering this for us. And at the time, he did not have a lot of details, but it does look as though they are gathering more details, and we're waiting a, a news conference any moment. Uh, that news conference is going to include Salt Lake City PD as well as the Utah Highway Patrol. And he did describe that multiple agencies had responded to this area. It was not only UHP, but Salt Lake City Police as as well as UTA as well. And they had somewhere between 15 and 20 vehicles that were on site. Yeah, we don't know what this incident involved. Um, if it was uh, a traffic crash, although Dan Bomas has been reporting from the newsroom that it was, it looks appears that they've been in some sort of a, a traffic accident. Um, but there might be other uh, other circumstances involved around this. We don't know how many other vehicles were involved. But as you stated, Dave and Hugo Ricard Bell reported just a few moments ago for us that there's 
upwards of 20 emergency vehicles on the scene. And we expected that live news conference to begin at about 1145. They're just a few minutes behind. It's typical in a situation like this. They're still gathering details. Maria will have the very latest and take us there live next. Hey, it's Debbie here. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. But you can also hear the Dave and Dujanovic show live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday, starting at nine or at KSLNewsRadio.com. Keyword podcast. So text that keyword to 57500 and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win.